0: Please open up to Ephesians chapter 4. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 4. And the title this morning is The New Man's Nature and Ways. Last week we looked at the old man's nature and his ways. This morning, the new creation, the new man, and the way he lives. Look at, we're going to be in Ephesians 4, verses 20 through 24. Paul compares the new walk with the walk of the Gentiles. Last week, he said in verse 17, you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility or the emptiness of their mind. The new man in Christ, the new woman in Christ is the opposite of the old man or the old woman of the flesh. The old man is self-centered and unfruitful. The new man is Christ-centered and fruitful. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, the word abides, it's important to understand what it means. Abides means to stay or to remain in a place or thing. So it talks about abiding in me, abiding in, my, in a relationship with me. He says, and if I abide in him, will bear much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. John 15, 5. The word abides, like I said, means to stay in a given place, state, or relation. The old man is not aware of God's truth. They're ignorant of God's truth. The new man knows and understands God's truth. The old man is morally and spiritually hardened. They're not ashamed of sin. The new man is sensitive to all sin, and they're convicted by sin. The old man is depraved in his thinking and his behavior. The new man is renewed in their minds. And after Paul reviewed the, sinlessness, the sinfulness of the pagan world... And the self-centered, meaningless, uncontrolled wickedness that comes from and leads to spiritual darkness and ignorance. Paul said this to believers who had fallen back in such a degrading condition. Let's begin with verse 20 of chapter 4. And Paul says, but you have not so learned Christ. In other words, he says, that isn't what you were taught when you learned about Jesus. The old sins and living in the sins of the old life. He says, you weren't taught that when you learned about Christ. Believers knew better than to live like the Gentiles or those that didn't know Christ. The people that God, that that Paul was talking to, they had been taught how to live a different and better lifestyle. Believers have been taught the truth of God. The world is taught error. The philosophies of the world teach evil philosophy. They don't abide by the truth of God. That's not the way of Christ, Paul said, or of his kingdom or family. He said you're not to take part in any of those things in any way because God's ways and the ways of the world are not compatible. Paul made that very clear in 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 17. I know you're familiar with the passage. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. He says, what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial or the devil? What part has a believer with an unbeliever? I mean, he's trying to get that point across. He says, And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you, the Christian, are the temple of the living God. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. He makes his abode in you. And God says, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. He says, "I, I dwell in them and among them. And then he says, therefore, because of everything he said in the previous verses... He said, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Come out from among the world, from the unbelieving world. Now, there are some Christians who think that a Christian doesn't have to part with anything or change anything when he becomes a Christian. And many think that they can keep on living in sin, thinking that they're acceptable to God, which is totally unbiblical. A.W. Tozer said, A whole generation of Christians has come up believing that it's possible to accept Christ without forsaking the world. Someone else said, It seems that many Christians now believe as a doctrine of faith that Jesus died to redeem their sin instead of dying to redeem them from their sin. This is a subtle twist of Satan that makes a huge difference in salvation. In Matthew one twenty one, listen to what it says. And she... Mary will bring forth a son, Jesus Christ, and you shall call his name Jesus. Here's why. For he shall shall save his people from their sins. That is such an important word. From their sins, not in their sins. I love what A.W. Tozer said about this. He says, God's grace will save a man, but it won't save a man and his idol. The blood of Christ will shield the penitent sinner alone. But never the sinner and his idol. Faith will justify the sinner, but it will never justify the sinner and his sin. Don't confuse God's grace for carnal indulgence. Don't confuse God's grace as a dumping ground for sin. Oh, because God's so gracious and He's so full of grace that, that, you know, I can do whatever and He covers it. No, it doesn't mean go ahead and sin and God will cover it. 1 John 1.7 says the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. He doesn't cleanse us from excuses. He cleanses us from sin, all sin. And 1 John 1.9, it says if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It is a wonderful promise, but it is not an excuse to sin. It is not an excuse to walk in the old man's ways. This kind of thinking that the Christian doesn't have to forsake anything or change anything, and they can keep on living in sin is based on the idea of God's grace being wonderful and abundant and keeping people from works by righteousness. That will only lead people down the road to destruction. What Jesus said is very broad, very wide, and many go there. But the Bible says that salvation comes through repentance. Repentance means a change of mind, a change of behavior, a change about sin, a change about self, and a change about God. The whole reason for receiving Jesus Christ is to be saved from, from this perverse generation. And no one is saved who does not repent and turn away from their sin. You see that in in the conversions in the Bible. When people got saved, when they came to Jesus Christ, they left the old life. God won't save us from our sin if we're not willing to let go of it. To hold on to sin is to refuse God. And it shows contempt for his grace. And it nullifies faith. No Christian is totally free from the presence of temptation of sin in this life. But in Christ, he's willingly freed from the tendency to sin. He may slip and he may fall many times, and we do. But the determined direction of a Christian's life is away from sin. They're not walking in sin. Paul said in Romans 6, 1 and 2, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He said, Definitely not. Certainly not. No way. Paul said in Romans 6, 18, and having been set, from, set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. One of the first things a Christian needs to learn is that he can't trust his own thinking or depend upon his own way. Solomon said in Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way that seems right to a man. Seems right. But it ends in death. In 2 Corinthians five fifteen, Paul said he died for all, speaking of Christ. That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. We are to live for him who died for us and rose again. Again, in Proverbs 3, 5 through 7, Solomon said, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Paul said the Christian has the mind of Christ. So you see we can depend upon his mind. The obedient and faithful Christian is the one who thinks, acts, feels, serves and lives like Jesus in every way. Paul said it well in Colossians 2:20, I'm sorry Galatians 2:20. I have been crucified with Christ. He says, "It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me." To live in Christ, Paul Paul said in Philippians one twenty one, "To live is, is to live is Christ." This means a dedication of doing my best like no other. It means it, it means. Showing an excellence like no other when it comes to character. Paul's whole life was wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ. Today, a lot of young people idolize some of the most disgraceful personalities, and and adults too. But they seem to be the role models for a lot of young people. You know, pop music stars, sports celebrities, movie stars. But being devoted to Jesus Christ is the greatest of all stars because the Bible says he's the bright and morning star. Because you see, he shines in the darkness of this dark world. To live as Christ, Paul said, this means that Jesus Christ comes first in a person's life. If they profess to be born again. And for that reason, Jesus determines our priorities for us. Everything one does submits to Christ in importance. Everything a believer does is to submit to Jesus Christ in importance. He's the one that I prioritize my life around. My priorities are based, about, based, about, based around Christ. Paul's whole life was devoted to Jesus. Everything he did, his energy, his thoughts, his desires, they were all focused on Christ. Jesus said in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. No devotion will clean up a person's life. We can read all kinds of devotions and you know, read sermonettes and, and verses here and there. That's not going to clean up a person's life as much as a devotion to Christ is going to. It's a devotion to Christ. And because we have the mind of Christ, we are to think, we're to act, and we're to love like Jesus. We are to be like Jesus in every way possible. Verse 21. Paul said, okay, In verse 20, but you have not so learned Christ. Verse 21, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. In other words, the new man knows God's truth. Paul strengthened his warning with an argument from the spiritual experience of his readers. And again, the emphasis on the mind or the outlook of the believer. He said in verse 20 again, you have not so learned Christ. He didn't say that that you have not so learned about Christ because you see you can learn about Christ and never be saved. To learn Christ. This means to have a personal relationship to Christ so that you get to know him better every day. Now, I can learn about anybody. Now, A.W. Tozer is one of my favorite commentators and, and, and Bible teachers. I have a lot of his books. And because I do, I can learn a lot about A.W. Tozer. I can learn about a lot about his life. But I can never learn him because he's dead i never had a relationship with him but jesus christ is alive so i can learn christ through a personal fellowship with him how is this fellowship based on what is it based on the word of god i can be taught the truth of jesus christ as it is in christ The better I understand the Word of God, the better I know the Son of God. Because you see, the whole Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, is a revelation about the Lord Jesus Christ. On the other hand, the unsaved man or woman is spiritually unaware. While the Christian is knowledgeable in the things of the Word of God. And the unsaved man or woman, they don't know Christ. While the believer grows in their personal knowledge of Christ every single day. We have believed the truth. We have received the life as a result. And we will walk in the way. Not walk in the way of the unsaved world. We will walk in the way of Christ. Instead of being ignorant of God's truth, the Christian has heard Christ. The Christian has been taught by Christ. And when a person receives Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they come into God's truth. If anybody is not listening to Jesus Christ, then Jesus must not be their Savior. The Lord Jesus is the shepherd. And the scripture says that his sheep hear his voice. And if you haven't heard his voice, then you're not one of his sheep. And I want to make that clear. Turn with me, turn with me to John chapter ten, verse twenty-seven. I want to point something out here. Because usually when somebody quotes this scripture to you, they only quote verse 28. And it says, And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Let's look at verse twenty-seven. Because Jesus is talking to a specific people who he gives eternal life and who will never perish and who will never be snatched out of his hand. Notice he says, my sheep, what do they do? They hear my voice. What does the next, next passage say? I know them. Notice them. He's talking about a specific people. He says, my sheep who hear my, my voice, I know them. This isn't a blanket statement for all that are called sheep. He's making it very specific. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. And they follow me. The word follow is also the word abide, to remain or to stay in a state, place, or relationship. And then he says, I will give them eternal. Notice how he keeps pointing out they and them, a specific people. My sheep hear my voice, and as a result, I know them. They follow me, they abide in me, they stay in a relationship with me. Those are the ones he says, I give eternal life. He says, and they're the ones that shall never perish. He says, and they're the ones that shall never be snatched out of my hand. You see, apart from Jesus Christ and an intimate, ongoing relationship with Jesus Christ, you have no security. He is our security. This is the difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing him. Remember what Jesus said to those in Matthew uh, 7 who thought they knew him? He said, I never knew you. What a bummer. All this time they thought they knew Jesus. They thought they were serving him. They thought they were walking him. Jesus, I don't know you. He meant in terms of a personal relationship. Only those, John said, who hear his voice and follow him are safe and secure in their salvation. There is no promise for those who are not following him or whoever stop hearing him and following him. You're standing on shaky ground. What will change the, the, the Gentiles' old nature? What do they need to do? They need to listen to the truth about Jesus Christ. They're to be taught by him. Those who are not his sheep, they won't hear him. The truth is in Jesus Christ alone. There is no other truth. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the truth, Jesus. There's no reason for any believer not to know the truth. There's no reason for, for anybody to be in the dark today or to be ignorant or blind about the truth of Jesus Christ. He said in John eight twelve, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Look at verse 22. He says that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts. Paul is saying here that the new man has been delivered from the old man. But this experience of salvation, it goes a lot deeper than this, because you see, it resulted in a whole new position before God. The old man, speaking of the former life, the self-life, the fleshly life. Paul says, it's been put away. And he says, now we can walk in the newness of life in Christ. Verses 22 through 24 here are basically a summary of Romans chapter 5 through 8. And that's where Paul explained the believer's relationship with Christ in death, burial, and resurrection. He also dealt with this in Ephesians 4, 2 through 6, as well as Colossians 3. As Christians, we haven't just changed our minds. We have totally changed our behavior and our, and our citizenship. When we got saved, say we came out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. We are citizens of heaven. We belong to God's new creation in Christ, Paul said. New creatures in Christ. And as a result of being a new creation in Christ, we have have new ideas, we have new desires, you know. Not the old life. The old life no longer controls our lives because now I have new ideas and I have new desires and I have a new power in the Holy Spirit. You see, the believers were to stop behaving like they used to before they were saved. And what does he say in verse 22? He says, put off concerning your former conduct. This speaks about your entire behavior. Every area of your behavior from the past was to be stopped. It was to be put off, Paul said, which means to be laid down. The old man is a term that's used to symbolize the fleshly nature of man, the old man and his ways. This was the nature that ruled them, the former life, until they got saved the old man like i guess it is the term of the old life the fleshly nature with its old desires but once you got saved that changed it's to be rejected paul said the old life it's to be put off it's to be laid down as your way of life now here's the corruption that's to be put off he says the deceitful seats the deceitful lust of the old life Deceitful lusts. The way of life of the believer before he was a believer is to be put off. Such a life is described as behavior that was corrupt and it was devious because that's the nature of sin. When Paul said to put off the old man, this is related to what you have heard and what you have been taught in the gospel. Now, putting off the old man, the old nature. These aren't human works. These aren't things that I can do. something It's not something that we work at and doing that we need to do to be saved. They're the natural results of God's work of salvation in us. What Paul says here is basically a description of repentance from sin and submission to God That's often taught as the basics of regeneration. Compared to the unregenerate unregenerate person, that is the unsaved person. Compared to the unsaved person who continually resists and rejects God. And lives in the world of sin that's ruling their life. The old way of life. The Christian has heard the call to put off. Put off the old life. Put off the old self. Put off the old way of living. The words to put off, it's the idea of taking off old filthy clothes, an old garment. It indicates a one-time action done by the believer the moment that they get saved. We are to like take off an old or or, or torn garment. We are to take it off. That's the picture of take off the old man. Put on the new man in Christ the same way we change our clothes. Like I said, it's putting off an old and dirty garment and then putting on a garment that's new, fresh, and clean. The putting off of the old man and the putting on of the new man can't be done by ourselves. It can't be done by our works. Nor can it be done by working real hard and doing your best to imitate Jesus Christ in his life. Because it's already been done for the believing sinner by the death of Christ. We're like babies who can't dress ourselves. As Christians, we never get to the place where we can stop trying. It's already been done for us. In Romans, Paul says in Romans 6, 6, that the old man has already been crucified with Christ. He says, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Think about it. Take into consideration the truth that the old man has already been crucified with Christ. We are to put it off in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, this doesn't mean that the flesh and the old nature is totally gone forever in this life. We don't get rid of the old nature. It's always there. It's always wanting to raise its ugly head. But we're not to live in that old nature. In other words, we're not to allow the old man, the old woman, the old nature to rise up and control our lives. We do have a new nature. And that's the result of regeneration by the Holy Spirit through the new birth. Any man, any woman in Christ is a new creature. We are to live in that new nature. We're to live in that new man, that new woman. Verse 24 says, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. This shows that this is the imputed righteousness of Christ. And that everything that we do is to be done in harmony with God's holy character. Because we have been declared righteous and we're in Christ seated in the heavenlies. And our walk down here should match our position in Christ. The gospel invitation to lay aside the old self in repentance from sin. Which includes not just sorrow about sin, but a turning away from sin and turning to God. Verse 23 and 24. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. He says, become the new man, become the new woman. Paul talks about the transformation in three different ways. He says, first in verse 23, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. The believers should think differently. They should have different views and a different thought life. Paul gave a similar exhortation in Romans 12, 2, when he said, Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The second thing he gave, the second thing he said. The second way of transformation is putting on the new man in verse 24. This is another way of describing the, de- the, be- de- the different behavior between believers. This should show, uh, that we should show from the world. The world should be able to look at us. If we've professed to be a Christian, we should be living in such a way that they can distinguish. They're different. They're different from the world. They're different from the people that I know that aren't Christians. The old man represents the old fleshly nature of man, while the new man represents the new spiritual nature of man, which he receives by being born again. The third difference, manners. Manners, verse 24, which after God, notice, is created in righteousness and true holiness. Paul said in verse 22, the old man was corrupt. But here Paul says the new man is described as righteousness and true holiness. The manners of the new man are a lot different compared to the ways of the old man. Compared to the depraved, degenerate mind of the the unregenerate, the unsaved person that's described in verse 17 through 18, the Christian is renewed continually in the spirit of his mind. The best interpretation of verse 24 would read like this, and being renewed in the spirit of your mind, put on the new self. This makes it clear that this renewal is the result of putting off The old man and putting on the new man. Salvation has to do with the mind where thought, understanding, and belief, and motive, and action take place. When a person becomes a Christian, God starts with renewing their mind. And giving it a totally new spiritual and moral power, which the most brilliant and educated minds apart from Christ can never have. And this renewal continues all through the believer's life as they obey the word and the will of God. It's an ongoing process. It's not a one-time action. But the continual work of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life. And our sources are God's word, the Bible, and prayer. Through the word of God and through prayer, we put on the mind of Christ. And it's through that mind that we will live the life of Christ. The renewed spirit of the believer's mind is the result, again, of putting on the new man. The new creation that's made in the very likeness of God in Christ and has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. That mind that was once darkened, that mind that was once ignorant and hardened and sensual and impure and greedy, it's now enlightened. It now knows the truth of God's Word and it's sensitive to sin and it's pure and it's generous. It was once characterized by wickedness and sin, but it's now characterized by righteousness and holiness. In Colossians 3.12, Paul calls believers the elect of God, holy and beloved. And it's important to know more and more about the image of the new self, the new creation in Christ, the believer, so that you can understand it better. The word new here, I love this. The word new here doesn't mean remodeled. (laughs) It doesn't mean improved. It doesn't mean you've patched up the old. It's something totally new. It's a new creation in kind or character. The new self is new because it's being created according to God in His likeness, according to what God is. And this is the wonderful truth about the reality of salvation. Those who confess Jesus Christ as Lord, they're made like God. Peter said in 2 Peter 1.4, we become partakers of the divine nature. We take on his nature. And if believers have received the divine nature that is the life of Christ, the likeness of God in this new self, by an act of, of divine creation, then without a doubt, it must have been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth because... It can't be anything else. God couldn't create anything else. There's no evil. There's no unrighteousness in God. So the believer has a new nature, a new self, a holy and righteous inner person that is fit for the presence of God. You see, the old life, the old nature can't stand in the presence of God. So righteous and holy is this new man that Paul refers to. And, 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 and he admits that any sin, because again, we have become partakers of the divine nature, you know, in righteousness and holiness. If there's any sin that comes from the new creation, the new believer in God's image, it's of self. It's of the old man. It's of the old man. Because God doesn't create anything, you know, that's not righteous or holy. What Paul says in Romans 6 through 7 is clear in placing the reality of sin other than in the new self. Paul said when he sinned, I know it was me. I know it was the unrighteousness in me. See, it couldn't be the righteousness of God. He says in Romans 6.12, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. To be exact, he says, don't let sin keep on controlling your body that you should obey the desires of your body. Romans 6.13 says, do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. The reason that most of us get into trouble is because we present ourselves to the old nature. We give in to the old nature or we flirt with the old nature. And by choosing to do that, we can, rep- we can uh, present ourselves to God's will uh, through the na- new nature. Choosing to, to give in to the old nature, you can't get, stand before God. But choosing to give in and to submit to the new nature, we can stand before God. Even though we won't get rid of our old nature in this life, we are told to, not, to, to present ourselves to God as a living sacrifice. Just as you present yourself to do sin... In the old life, you are now to present yourself to God as those who are alive from the dead. You're now alive in Christ. You have a new nature. You've been born again. And your members are to be instruments of righteousness to God. What is your real problem today? Whatever it might be, give it to God. Do you have an anger problem? Do you, you have a drug problem or alcohol problem? Gossiping. Immorality, lying. Take it to God and talk to him about it. You are to give yourself to God and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. And don't cop out with, that, with the, I can't do it, or it's too hard, or I tried. You can do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. Matthew Henry said, many of our can'ts, are only the language of idleness which magnifies every difficulty and danger. We are new, though not totally new. We're righteous and holy, but not yet perfectly righteous and holy. That won't happen until we go to be with the Lord. But you see, understanding the real nature of our transforming salvation is important if we're going to know how to live as Christians in the body of Christ that we belong to. The rest of the letter is exhortations to the believer to bring his body into obedience to the will of God. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9.27, I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection. Self-denial is how you do it. Paul controlled the bodily appetites of his flesh rather than let the appetites control him. You see this would prevent bad, this would prevent behavior that could disqualify him from serving the Lord. See sin disqualifies us from serving God. And the ongoing need of the Christian uh, Christian life is to keep putting off the old and trashing it burning it. That sinful clothing Do not go on presenting your members of your body to sin as instruments of righteousness, Paul said. And Paul begs in Romans 6.13 to present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. In closing, the simplest illustration of this great truth of putting off those old clothes that represent the old life is given in John 11 in the resurrection of Lazarus. Remember, Lazarus had been been in the grave dead for four days when Jesus and his disciples came to Bethany. Even Martha said, hey, Jesus, you know, by now he, he stinks. The body's decaying. He's been laying in the tomb for four days. But Jesus spoke the word and Lazarus came out of the tomb and he came out alive. Remember what Jesus said to him next? Loose him and let him go. Take off those stinky grave clothes. We have risen from the dead in Christ. Get rid of the old life, the old old life of the old man. Lazarus no longer belonged to the power of death, the old life, the old power of death, because he was now alive in Christ. Why should we go around wearing the stinky grave clothes of the old life? Take them off. Put, you know, get rid of them, put on the new, Paul said. Because of our new life and our new mind and our new Lord and our new nature, our new service and our new power, we are called to live a new lifestyle that matches our new nature. How can we call ourselves Christian and then live like the world and still sin like we used to before we came to Christ? It doesn't work. It won't get it. The word of God renews the mind as we surrender our, our, our all to him. Jesus said in John seventeen seventeen, sanctify them by your truth, Lord, because your word is truth. And as the mind understands the truth of God's word, slowly but surely, we are transformed by the Holy Spirit. And this renewing of the mind, it leads to a changed life. Physically, you are what you eat. Spiritually, you are what you think. Solomon said in Proverbs 23, 7, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. This is why it is so important for us as Christians to spend time every day meditating on the word of God in prayer and fellowship with Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you so much for this wonderful few verses, God. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your mercy and your grace, God. And, Lord, we just pray right now for those that may not know you, those that might be here or thought they knew you and recognize, I, I need to repent. Or somebody that might be watching on, on TV or their computer, God. That they want to come to Christ. They want to they make things right. Then I want you to repeat this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, please forgive me, Lord, for all of my sins. I confess to you, I am a sinner. Please fill me with your Holy Spirit. And help me now to follow you all the days of my life. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.